You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Well, welcome, welcome. Happy Mother's Day. Have we said it too many times? Man, we want to celebrate you all. Um, I actually use uh, this time usually to celebrate my mom, who's usually here, um, and that usually is my Mother's Day gift to her, is to publicly celebrate her, um, but she's not here, so I have to figure out something else for this year. I'll celebrate my wife, though. My wife's awesome. Can we hear from my wife? Um, man, watching her raise four beautiful girls um, has just been a joy in my life, um, so thank you for being an amazing mother um, and discipling our kids to Jesus, um, and I know you uh, celebrate uh, publicly and privately, uh, you celebrate Kathy all the time Amen. Um, about the mom that she is and what she has done and how she has led uh, your kids to Jesus. And so, Kathy, thank you for being a faithful woman of God um, and loving people well. So um, we're excited. So just to give you a little, if, you're, if this is your first time or you've been here a couple times, uh, we want to welcome you. Thank you so much. One of the things that we do um, are these roundtables. Um, and so um, the reason why we do this is because this really Uh, exemplifies a discipling relationship. And so whether you are a believer for five minutes or five years or 50 years, um, you are always learning. And discipleship is always a two-way road. And so what we do is we sit down in this discussion-type setting um, and disciple one another in this, like you would uh, over a cup of coffee, as you would um, at dinner, um, and, and we, we invest in one another, we look at the passage together, um, and we, we really just talk about it, and that's what discipleship is. It's a conversation about the Word of God and what God's uh, heart is in the Word, um, so I'm really excited. So we're here, do. Tim like Eirich. Times. Good, I got an echo. Echo? Yeah. Uh, echo! No, these are... These are actually very enjoyable times because we actually get to live out teaching each other and, and going uh, metal to metal. So we've come to the end of our study of Philippians. Uh, you know, there's, it's been said it's the most joyous book in, in the Bible, and it, it definitely is when we see Paul's joy for the Philippian church. And we come to the end, and, and if you look at the end, you could look at it and, and, and really maybe unpack and talk about some doctrine. But the last verse is Paul ends this on, on really one major theme. Go practice this. Go live this way. And, he, and he, he's very personal in it. So I want to do two things. I want to remind us about the, the book of Philippians and, and Paul's condition um, and bring up some things we really haven't talked much about in the, in the book but has a huge impact on, on these last verses. So remember, Paul is in prison, and, and more than likely, he's in, he's in a house prison. And more than likely, he's in what they call the Jewish ghetto part of Rome, which uh, is just off the Tiber River, kind of south of the main Senate and the Colosseum and, and all that. It was a very Jewish section. They're actually ex- excavating it uh, as we speak in Rome right now. Uh, he's in a house, and under the Roman prison system, you had to support yourself. The Romans didn't feed you. So Paul had to have somebody come bring him food every day. Uh, Somebody had to bring him water every day. Somebody had to care for his needs. He had to have a support system or he went without. And we're going to see that today. And we're going to learn how he handled it. And sometimes we forget about that because, you know, in our prison system, there are 
prisoners are fed. In the Roman system, you weren't fed. Even when Paul in his final prison, when he, before he was, was martyred, uh, people had to come to him every day to take care of him. And we're going to see how he handles that. Um, the other thing we need to realize about the book of Philippians, it's a very personal letter. And, and most of the time in Paul's letters, he uses a lot of we's and us as a lot of plural. In the book of Philippians, he uses a lot of singular, I, my, me. And it's very, very personal, these people. And the first thing you begin to see in this, and it ends this way, is the love that Paul had for these people. It is a deep love. It is a deep love fulfilled and carried and brought about by the Holy Spirit. So I want to kind of start us that way. I want to go back and, and look at the very beginning of his, le- his letter a little bit before we go to the very end. So in chapter 1, verses, in verse 3, he starts this way. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Verse 8, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He has a yearning. In in the book of um, Ephesus, Paul talks about how for three years, every day, he cried for the church of Ephesus. That's Paul. And Paul, that's Paul here. Every day in prison, he loved and he yearned for the people of Philippi. Then we come to the end of it. So what you're going to get, very short, short, you're going to get Tim Irick's running commentary of verses 10 through 23, okay? And I'm only going to do one unpacking of one word and then just really short explanations because there's one word at the very beginning that most of the English versions, I think, get wrong. And so in, in verse 10, it says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me and the word revived there is a, bot- is a botanical term. It's a term of when a tree or a plant goes into full blossom. And we were talking this morning, all of us have probably had a plant in our backyard which just wouldn't grow, right? And then all of a sudden you, you cared for it, and you trimmed it, and you fertilized it, and you watered it, and, didn't, and, you, uh, and then one day you walked outside, and pow, it was in full bloom either totally leafed out or totally blooming, and that, uh, that feeling you got was probably ecstatic, right? I can remember in agriculture, I can remember having troubled fields, and you go look at them once a week. I can remember having cotton that was this big, and it wouldn't grow, it wouldn't grow, it wouldn't grow, and we would cultivate it, and uh, we would foliar feed it, and it still wouldn't grow, and then one, you left it one week going, I don't think this cotton's ever going to do anything. And the next week you came in, pow, the, it, was, it grew eight inches and the leaves filled out. And the feeling you got from that is what Paul is having for the Philippians. So literally it should read this way. I rejoice in the Lord greatly for now at length 
your concern for me has blossomed. Paul is looking at the Philippians. Remember, there's days he doesn't eat. There's weeks he doesn't eat. And he's a man filled with the Holy Spirit. And some days he's probably sitting there going, man, does anybody know where I'm at? I know people are sharing me. I know the Philippians are sharing me. I'm hearing about that, but I don't feel it. Then all of a sudden he gets this news that comes to him, right? A brother in Christ comes to him, and he starts telling him about everything the Philippians are doing. Remember, he did, he did, he's, this is 2,000 years ago. It takes time for things to get around, right? And the first thing he says, your concern for me is blossom. Paul is looking at these people and saying, wow, look how much you've matured since I've left. Look at where your faith has grown to. And then he goes, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And verse 11 goes, not that I'm speaking of being in need. He comes back to himself and says how he has learned to live this way. For I have learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. He said, I have learned through this trial that in Christ alone, I can handle this. Um, Augustine, about 1,700 years ago, said this about this passage. He said, a lot of people can suffer. Very few people can know how to suffer correctly and glorify God. A lot of people can live in abundance. Very few people know how to live in abundance and glorify God. And that's what Paul is saying. I've learned that. We should all learn that. But then he says this in verse 14. I love when the Holy Spirit does this. So Paul says, you know, I've, I've learned to live in abundance. I'm content. And then he says, yet, although I've learned in content, he says, yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. What an encouraging word of a pastor to his people. I didn't need your gift. I've learned how to do it, but I love your kindness. Your kindness has touched me. Your kindness tells me that you're growing in Christ. The, your kindness is telling me that the Holy Spirit is raising you up and caring. Then he goes on to say, And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you alone. So there's this, he goes all the way back to his, his very relationship. I remember when you alone helped me in these other places. And now look what you, and you're continuing to do that. Not only are you continuing to do that, you're blossomed. You've gone so much further than you did back then. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift. I don't care about the gift. But I seek the fruit that increases to my credit. Is that what he says there? No. He says, I don't seek your gift. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit, Philippians, to your blossoming, to your maturing in Christ. That's what I seek. That's what gives me joy. That's why at the beginning of this, it says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly because you have blossomed into a maturing, beautiful spirit-filled church, and I love the gift you gave me because you, your kindness and, and, and concern and, and traveling with me in my troubles is great, but you know what I love greater than that is you've grown. You're deeper in Christ. 
Um, verse 18, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epidites the gifts you sent, the blooming generosity of you I have received. It is a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So there's that, there's that tie back. That's why, that's why it's real important in verse 10 to understand that it's a blossoming because then he draws it back in verse 20, uh, in verse 17 to uh, your fragrant offering. Just like you're blooming and you're in full blossom, you are a fragrant offering to God. Verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God the Father, be glory and glory forever and ever. Amen. And then his final words, greet every saint in Jesus, the brothers who are with me, greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. Verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Sometimes we forget that the good news of the gospel is not that it just that it saved me. We all get that, right? We all live there. The good news of the gospel is it's what sanctifies me. It's what grows me up. It's what holds me up every day. And sometimes we kind of forget that. Uh, and that's what Paul is saying to this is, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. Look what it's done to you. Look at where you are at, Philippians, in Christ Jesus, in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So that's kind of the introduction. So there's a few, few things here I wanted to, uh, for Bill and I to kind of talk about. So in light, in light of Paul, Bill, in light of Paul's rejoicing in the work of Christ and bringing the Philippians to this blooming maturity um, and this fragrant, spirit-filled, faithful generosity, what is the impact? What should you and I as church leaders, what should be the impact to us? How should it renew our thinking and shepherding when we look at how Paul viewed uh, the growth of the Philippians? You know, I think that as we're, I think church in general, church in America, church in our culture, we could be so enamored by progress and performance. We could be, have our, almost like we're setting up this conveyor belt of a checklist for people like, you know, theology 101, 201, 301, and those things aren't bad in and of themselves. Um, but I think as church leaders, the importance of actually seeking the Holy Spirit and praying over our people um, and really desiring for God to be the one. Because, I, I, I mean, Paul says here, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hungry, hunger and the abundance of need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I think that if... Anybody here puts their spiritual growth or they put their um, hope in you and I, we're just going to fail them. I mean, that's just, sorry if that's new news to you, but like we're imperfect and we're, we should not be put on a pedestal of um, this idea of that, like we just know it all and we do it all. And then it's, it's more so us pointing you all to Jesus Right? He's the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And so the prayer weekly, I mean, constantly texting with, with people here or, or calling people or getting together for lunch, it's, it's a continual prayer that, that God, through his power, will blossom 
people when the spirit desires to do so. I think I often can try to force it, right? I could try to, you know, take, uh, you know, Ben and, and, and be like, you need to learn this, right? You need to get this. You need to do this. And to recognize that it's, that's the power of Bill and the power of Bill is worth nothing. Um, but to continually go before the Lord for our people to say, God, do this work. Um, I, one of the things, you know, I, we were praying uh, for a while that the Lord would bring somebody to help us think through the business end of, of the church <coughs> and those things. And we were praying for the Lord to bring somebody. Uh, and we had even approached some people about helping us with those things. And, um, and then one day, go out to Mission Barbecue and uh, hanging out with Steve. And before we even like start lunch, Steve's like, hey, by the way, I was praying and I was seeking the Lord and, and spending some time with God and really felt like God's saying to me, hey, I, I want to help you and Tim as the elders to just, in, in the business end of the church, what can I do? And it's like, man, the power of prayer. Like God will, will transform and shape and, and mold and blossom the church because it's his church. It's not our church. Um, and I think for us to continually trust in the Spirit, to do what the Spirit does, um, and then to continue to lead our people to the power of God. Um, and that's what Paul's doing here. Mm-hmm. He's not celebrating his work that he right. did with the Philippians. He's celebrating the power of God and what God did in the Philippians right. um, and how that's just this mutual encouragement to the entire body. Right. If, you look at, if you just look at these last texts, and I did this this morning, you can look, there's, there's doctrines in the church that we should love, right? The doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of regeneration, the doctrine of sanctification, right? How are we saved? How are we sanctified? This text is the doctrine of application, the doctrine of go live your faith. And as you look at these texts, you go home and do this. Go to uh, Galatians, look at the fruit of the Spirit, and you can see the Spirit-filled Paul having... All the fruit of the Spirit's expressed here. He patiently waited, right, and found all his contentment in Christ. Uh, he was at peace at his situation. He's right from prison. And other, other than a few places, you don't see a man that's stressed out, right? You, and actually, in, or in, in one, he goes, man, it's better to go with the Lord. You know, I'd, I'd rather be with Jesus. But because God wants me with you, Philippians, I will honor God there. That's peace right? You can see goodness, right? I love these people. I will stay with these people. I will be long-suffering with these people. He's in total self-control. There's no bitterness at all in this letter, right? And just these last verses, you know, that's one thing that showed me. I've read Philippians a lot. It's one of my favorite uh, writings of Paul. But this was the first time in sitting there and seeing and just going, am I as joyful as Paul is in this situation? Because that's because remember, he just came out of earlier saying, whatever is good, whatever is honorable, right? And I sit there and read this and I go, man, there's what the Holy Spirit wants me to get out of this. Just keep straining, Tim. Keep going upwards, right? So I, that's... I think as a leader, that's what, that's what struck me. Again, I can't do it on myself. I've got to totally 100% submit to the Holy Spirit to allow me to be like Paul. And I see that in these verses. Uh, 
I challenge you, go home and text me. Tell me where you see it. Tell me where you see love and joy and peace and patience and self-control and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness in these last texts, and I think you'll see them all. Second question, how does that apply to our brothers and sisters that God has given us to shepherd? Um, it just simply wouldn't be fair for it just <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I don't know if this connects, but my family, we went to the Coconut Hyatt this uh, past week, and and we got to hang out and do all these fun things. And, and really, it was a trip for our girls. And so my girls are nine, seven, six, and three. Um, and Everly just became tall enough to ride the big slides. And so that was like a huge thing, right? She's blossomed to, to, to ride the big slides. And so I must have climbed the stairs every day a hundred times with two tubes in my hand. And, um, and so, man, we are just constantly go, go, go. It's exhausting. As a, as a parent, I don't know if you've done it. It's like going to Disney. Um, it, you're just exhausted. Um, and I remember the last night, Lauren and I laying in bed, and we were just like, this was so tiring. Um, but then we were like, oh, but our girls had so much fun, right? Our girls, they just had so much fun. Um, and then we went out for ice cream one night, and we got our girls this ice cream. And I remember going over to uh, one of my daughters. I won't call her out. Um, you may be able to figure out to do who this is. Um, but I went to take a bite of her ice cream to taste it. And she pulled it away from me. And it was like, she was like, no, like my ice cream. And all of a sudden as a dad, I'm like, I just took you on vacation. Like I just bought you ice cream. Like you wouldn't even have it if it wasn't for me. Um, and I, I, of course that's my sin. <laughs> that's my selfishness. Um, but I just think that there's this idea of um, in the church and the generosity that uh, the generosity, the faith, the encouragement, the service that, that God calls us and invites us all to be a part of, um, he does invite us to all participate in the life of the church. He invites us to all um, use our gifts for the glory of God. He, he doesn't ever call any person to come to a church to consume and that could be a heavy word for some of you, um, but he does not invite anyone to come, sit, consume, and leave. This isn't a movie theater. Like, we're not, you know, here to uh, meet your every need. It, it's it's an invitation into the life of a family where we all participate in some way, shape, or form and use the gifts that God has called us to do. And I, I think the encouragement that I'm seeing here is he's rejoicing in it, but he's saying, you're living out what God has invited you to live out. Right. Um, and so there's this celebration of the fact that everybody in the Philippian church is participating in the life of the church. And so just like God has called you and I to uh, oversee through serving the body, through the teaching of the word and the preaching of the word and the shepherding of the word, um, he's invited everybody that calls FMCC their home, um, whether you've come for two weeks. Uh, and th I think this is a disconnect in our culture because what that does is we've kind of stiff-armed the f church family because we've said, oh, we've only been there for two weeks, and so we're not really a part of this church. Like, we're just going to hop around until we find something that meets our every need. Again, that's the consumeristic mindset. But if we believe that we, the 
people who believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior are the family of God, then we're all called to participate in the life of the family of God. And that means utilizing your time, talent, your resources, everything for the glory of God. Right. Um, and it's not taking your ice cream and just holding it to yourself and saying, this is mine, all right? Like, but realizing that everything that you have, right, every second of the day that you have, every gift whether you believe you have the gift or not, every gift that God has given you, every resource, like it's all been given to you by God. And he's given you it for the benefit of the church. Not for the benefit of Tim and I. Like that's, we're just a small part of the church. We're like the pinky, right? Like, but it's the, it's, yeah, right? <laughs> um, but it's, it's for the benefit of the whole church. And I think as, as the church, as we begin to see that of ourselves, that we all bring something unique and that we're not coming here just to come sit and learn and leave, but to come sit and learn and participate, man, like we will see a, oh, a blossoming, a, a movement of God-glorifying, Jesus-centered, and spirit-led discipleship that will just I mean, spread like wildfire through this community um, because everybody realizes that we all play our part, no matter who it is. Yeah. One other place that Paul gets very singular in his language is in 1 Corinthians when he talks about we're all members of the same body and that a body can't function. And the toe, the toe is just important to the body as the hand, right? And, and again, it's very, it's, very, it's very I and you, right? I don't know about you, but I don't think about my toes until I stub them. Yeah. When you stub your toe, I mean, that could lay you out for weeks. I mean, I'm just saying. So, I mean, every part plays a part. A part, exactly. And, and so I think one thing that, that it, so actually Hod, the man that's discipled me for 20 years, we were talking this week, and he was talking about the church that God called him to in, in Texas. And Matt, you'll appreciate this. He says, the biggest thing I'm struggling with these people is they think that they're, they act and think that their future sins are not forgiven. And so they're constantly afraid that I have to ask for forgiveness for a sin I just committed when that sin is covered, right? There's a, there's a repentance there, but it, it's afraid that I've lost my salvation or I'm, I'm, God is angry with me or I've been condemned. As believers, you're never condemned, right? And so we were talking through that, and what struck me was... Uh, to the people that God has entrusted us to shepherd is to meet you where you're at, right? Is to, to be very conscious of when I, when I sit with one of you, where are, where are you in, in, in the process of where God is have you, right? Are you a young believer? Are you, are you struggling with something in your walk, right? And, and then how do I shepherd do that and just understand that? And that's what Paul did. I, get, I, I must have read this text a hundred times this week, and it kept coming back to Paul had this, this maturity he had. He had such this, this treasuring gift of just sitting there and understanding where people were at and then being patient, right? And I think that's one thing in our society we have a hard time with. The one, remember, it's the fruit of the Spirit, singular fruit, not fruits, right? Uh, people get that wrong all the time. It's one fruit. One fruit of the Spirit. Part of that's patience. And because I think of our society, that's a real struggle I think we have as believers to be patient, which is not our society. We can go anywhere and get a hamburger in five minutes, right, or a Coke or a coffee. And uh, Christ says, 
Holy Spirit says, be patient, right? Be long-suffering with them. Good. Next question. There's an amazing, amazing truth in verses 11 to 13. Paul is overjoyed at the Philippians' concern, but I'm not in, I'm not in need for anything, for I've learned to be content. What's your thoughts on this? Well, I think, honestly, contentment is completely lost in our culture. I mean, we do more, have more. I mean, just more. <laughs> like, I think that's just the cry of our culture. We want things given to us. We feel like we deserve it. Um, I don't know about you, but if you have like a really good week of eating healthy and maybe even exercising, this may just be me, but do you ever feel like you deserve ice cream at the end of the week? Yes, Will. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's how we live. We feel like we deserve this. We feel like we deserve God to, um, to give us certain things. And like, <laughs> the need that Paul is talking about here is so drastically different than any need, I think I've, any need I've ever had in my life. Um, that the majority of our world today lives off of about $2 a day. And I can go spend $5 on a drink at Starbucks. I mean, if I have, uh, they have a star system, point system, like one of my goals is when I get enough stars is to make the drink as expensive as I can. Um, and so I add like three extra shots and some caramel drizzle. Um, and then it comes out to like eight or nine dollars for a drink to think about that. Like that's an entire week for some families in the world that they live on. Actually a majority. <laughs> um, I don't understand need. Like when my girls say at four o'clock after they'd had breakfast, second breakfast, uh, early lunch, late lunch, and then a snack, I'm hungry. Like we, we, we it just uh, we, I can't even wrap my mind around. Yeah. D. A. Carson said one time he goes go to ninety percent of the world and and ask them what a snack is, <laughs> and they would have no conception of what you're talking yeah. about, none at all. And some of them would probably look at you going, really? You eat something just because it's there? Yeah. Because they Because I'm bored? Yeah. yeah, exactly. I remember sitting in, a, in the bed. I you shared the story before, but sitting in the bed of a pickup truck in Haiti, and this little boy, um, his name was Minister, sitting in that truck with me. His hair was orange because he was so malnourished. I mean, you saw every bone in his body, every rib, um, and... I took a granola bar out of my backpack and handed it to him. And there were a couple other little boys, kind of older boys that were kind of like leaning up against the truck. And he, I opened it up for him and he took this big bite and you could just see the, the contentment and like the, the awe in his, like, cause that was the first thing he had eaten that day. It must've been around lunchtime. Um, maybe the first thing he's eaten in a couple days. And the first thing he did was go like this to the other boys to share this granola bar. I'm thinking, man, you haven't eaten in hours, potentially days, and the first thing you're thinking about are these other boys that are standing with you and to share the goodness that you've just received. And I think that when I look at these verses, and I think, God, please make me a man who is content in plenty and in need, where my trust and my hope and my desire for me, for my wife, for my family, for my friends, is that we would trust in you and you alone, 
Um, I remember when Lauren and I first set out to even plant FMCC, um, we, our sending church um, said, hey, would you consider going and getting a job um, and not taking a salary from the church and just planting this church in your home? And we were like, that doesn't sound like fun. Um, and um, I remember days where we didn't know when our next, so I became a realtor and I didn't have any listings or any leads. And, and we were sitting there going, God, like, we need you to come through. Like, our bank account was at zero. <laughs> and we're going, God, if, if, we, if I don't get a listing, if I don't get a lead, like, I'm going to have to go pick up a shift at Starbucks or um, somewhere. Like, because we just won't have enough money to pay for our mortgage this month. And we knew that the Lord had called us to this. And then that day, getting a phone call to, to list a house or, or a, a cash offer on one of my listings. Like, just, I mean, multiple times where the Lord had just come through in the, like, in those final minutes and to sit back and go, God, you care about every intricacy of my life. Like, you don't forget about me. Like, I'm, you're not some God that's off, off in the distance that's, you know, like, oh, does Bill need something today? I forgot about him for a couple weeks. But you are there every moment of every day. And that there's intentional moments where, the, where God is going to make things or allow things to be um, difficult so that my trust is grown in him, so that my, my faith blossoms. Um, because if I have everything I want and I'm spoiled, my eyes come off God <laughs> and go to the stuff. And that's what happens over and over again to the Israelites, to, to the Jews, like continually over and over again, you see that when they have plenty, that all of a sudden they start fo- fixing and focusing their eyes on the stuff. Yep. And that's their downfall. Yeah. And that's where we are as a culture. That's where we are in America right now. I mean, we have all this stuff and we're just saying, hey, give me more, give me more, give me more. And that's going to be our downfall. Yep. It will. Part of my studies as I prepare for this, is always to go back and, and look at the early church fathers. So I look, so I love what, again, I mentioned earlier, what, I love what Augustine said here. He said that everybody can suffer. Very few people know how to suffer and glorify God. Everybody can live in abundance. Very few people know how to live in abundance and glorify God. And that's what Paul, that's what Paul had right? Paul knew how to be content when he had nothing because he sat strictly in Christ alone. And when he had abundance, he knew how to live there, right? And he knew how to do it right. Um, Two more questions, and I want to close in a a final uh, text from Colossians. But there's an amazing yet. So Paul talked about this contentment that he has, and then he says, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And again, one of, the, one of the biggest things in this text is there's a huge amount of pastoral advice. If you look how Paul is handling this, this is how a pastor should handle it. So those of you leading small groups, pay very close attention to what Paul's saying. Those of you who desire to lead small groups, pay very close attention to what, what Paul is saying. So... My thought here was, there's a, he says, yet, um, again, he says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. So there's a kindness that leads to a pastor's rejoicing, not in you doing the generosity or the kindness, but in the product of a blooming faith. And that product, he says, is, I didn't need the gift, but your, your generosity by you 
doing what the Holy Spirit asks you to do and living in the fruit of the Spirit of kindness, you are a fragrant offering to your Father in heaven. God sees that and he goes, oh, I'm pleased with you, FMCC. Oh, I'm pleased with you, Redeemer. Oh, I'm pleased with you, Karen. Paul says, be fearful if you're called to ministry. And when I read these things in, in Paul's letter, I get overjoyed, but every now and then I go, wow. My, our shepherding, our, our being used, our spiritual gifts being used, I always need to remember to rejoice, not in, and rejoice in what you're doing in your faithfulness and your growing because God my Father is pleased in what you're doing. And that's, that's the pastoral advice I see Paul giving us over and over here. Your thoughts on, on the last part of this? Yeah, I say amen. Um, I think it's, uh, it's, there's no greater uh, joy that comes from seeing um, people enjoy Jesus. Um, and, uh, you know, <laughs> taking videos of my girls going down the tube slides uh, and seeing their face just overjoyed and the amount of fun that they're having. Um, I tell you that it, there's so much joy uh, in watching people blossom and come to know Jesus and love Jesus more. Um, and so, I, I, yeah, that's amen. You look at, you look at our, our statement, right? It's love God, love others, make disciples, and live within community. And, and it's so important to, to be part of a community where you can sit there and unpack things like today more, right, or, or any other study we're doing, or the troubles you're going through, or the things that, that Paul is sitting here and understand what the Philippians have gone through. Because you, you can't do that on a Sunday for 45 minutes and listen to a sermon. You do that in groups of eight or nine in a home where you're holding each other up. Right? That's what's so important about, about community. The last question, verse 23, is what I call the good news of my sanctification. Uh, Paul ends the letter with this, Grace to you, uh, grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Um, the grace alone that saved me continues with me. So my question, Bill, is do you think we sometimes forget the good news of Jesus does not just end when I believe the gospel, the good news, is part of what grows me. <laughs> One of my biggest struggles, I think, in life is to remember that um, that I need the gospel daily, um, every moment of every day, um, that when I wake up in the morning, like, I have to preach the gospel to myself um, because I can so quickly forget um, that I am loved, that I am uh, that I've been given grace, that God loves me, uh, past, present, and future. Um, there's nothing uh, bad I can ever do to make God love me less, and there's nothing good I can ever do to make God love me more. Um, that the gospel is the beauty of God's unfailing, unchanging love, um, and it is, it is so beautiful, and I think it's so easy to forget <laughs> Um, that grace is a, is a past, present, and future thing, that salvation uh, is a past, present, and future thing. Um, and I think because the devil is a deceiver, um, I think he, he is out to convince us uh, every day that we've lost 
um, God's favor, that we've lost God's love, that we've lost um, a connection with God. Uh, I think that's where sh- toxic shame and guilt set in, where um, because of my sin, because of my uh, anger or bitterness or whatever it is that I get up in the morning um, and I feel like God doesn't want to hear from me. I feel like that I can't open up the word. Um, and, and it's it's all a lie. It's it's a lie from the deceiver convincing me that God, that I am not in perfect standing with God because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And I think that um, that past, present, and future grace is so important for every day for us to wake up and remember that I am loved and that God wants to hear from me and he wants to talk to me. And no matter how uh, sinful I am that I, uh, that I am not condemned, like you said before. Um, there may be a conviction to leave my sin, and that's, that's of the Holy Spirit, but I'm not condemned. Like There is therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And so that I can get up and I can know that God loves me and wants me. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that's probably the biggest wrestle, I think, in my own walk with the Lord is remembering um, that salvation does not stop with the moment that I say I profess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, but that it continually, every day, every minute, every moment is renewed. Um, and I love that song we sang, right? By, my, by his stripes I'm healed. Right. Um, by, his, by his death I live. And so, yeah. I think Paul constantly tells us in his letters, either literally tells us or the thought process tells us that we need to be in a constant thought of renewing our mind. And I think one thing we've done in the Western church is we do very well talking about the, the, how the blood of Christ ransomed me or purchased my salvation. But we forget that that same precious blood of Jesus purchased my sanctification, right? Purchased my growth in him, right? Uh, he tells us that the night before he died, in John, he says, and the apostles are kind of saying, man, you know, if we don't get this, why are you going away? And he says this, he said, it's a good thing that I'm leaving because I'm going to send you a comforter, right? The Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection purchased and gave me the Holy Spirit, sent the third person of, the, of, the, of, of God to, to fill me and walk with me every day of my sanctification, right? And that's that same grace, that same grace that purchased my salvation continues with me today. And sometimes we forget that, right? We get you right to the, we get to the point of salvation and you're comfortable in your salvation and then we forget to disciple you into your sanctification. And we, what we really actually do is we, we minimize the blood of Jesus Christ because the blood of Jesus Christ is my sanctification. And then we wonder why some churches just don't grow, right? Because you don't disciple. I want to end with this to kind of tie it all together. Paul's words to the Colossian church, because I, I think it's so relevant to us today. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. And above all this, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, 
to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that uh, you take uh, you take us and grow us from what we've learned in the book of Philippians and the truths that you've showed us that uh, to the leaders of this church, we look at the pastoral advice that Paul gave us to rejoice always in the Lord for those that uh, he has given us to shepherd. Uh, to all of us, let us live out this beautiful fruit of the Spirit that comes through Christ and Christ alone. That the Holy Spirit gives us and holds us and strengthens us and grows us in. Lord, let us look with great expectations as we move into the future, as we, uh, as we have a location to feed the poor and clothe the naked and cry with the hurting to see you blossom what you want us to become for the glory of your name and for the honor of your son. So may we go forth in the total sufficiency of primacy of Jesus Christ in all things. Amen.